Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 114. I'm comedian Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today, the live circuit slash the Edinburgh Fringe. That sounded more aggressive than I was expecting. Uh, Joe Caulfield is a comedian, writer, and blogger who started her career out writing for Graham Norton while running her own open mic night between waitressing shifts. I got her on to talk about developing her relationship with her audience, what she likes and hates about TV panel shows, as well as her thoughts on the Edinburgh Festival and her relationship to it, as well as the social media persona that she cultivates between her and her audience all year round and how that helps her at the festival. This was an incredibly detailed and honest and brutal in places episode. I loved putting it together and hearing her thoughts, which were as fresh as they could ever be because we recorded it just after the Edinburgh Festival had finished in 2018. I think comedians at all levels will get something out of this. I also think fans of comedy will get a look behind the curtain in such an in-depth way of someone who has a really high profile but kind of is picking and choosing and and navigating this industry in such a um, interesting and decisive and calculated way and, and how she's able to continue to make choices to help her career progress but on her own terms. I really enjoyed this and I really loved hearing her. Before I hit play on the interview uh, I just want to say I've signed up for Edinburgh next year and I have no details to tell you other than that. Uh, I don't have the room, I, I know it'll be sweet venues, I don't have the time, I know it'll be sweet venues and I, I know it'll be a full run. Does that help? I don't know. Oh and I'll be taking Wednesdays off when I get rudely awoken by the dustman. As per usual, so that's all I've got to say about that. I'm about to start previewing in January, February time. I'm also going to be doing a tour afterwards. No dates have been confirmed yet for any of those things. So I'm sorry that that is the most vague plug. What I'm saying is check my website and check the show notes for uh, links to uh, my previews as well as the Edinburgh Fringe run as well as the tour because um, that's the main thing I'm working on at the moment. Uh, yeah, so oh, I'm also oh, that's the thing I should tell you about. It's almost, this is bad because uh, I've gone off script to give you some plugs and it's starting to sound completely uh, DIY again. Um, so I'm doing uh, um, sex, drugs and other things I never do. The 2018 show from Edinburgh at the Bloomsbury Theatre on the 21st of March 2018. If you have a look in the show notes, you uh, should be able to find the link. Um, please 
do come down to that if you can. Uh, I, if you want a discount code, if you came to like a preview or you came to see me at another time, please um, tweet me some, tweet me, tweet me something, something that means I know that you listen to this. Uh, tweet me. My macaroon, my favourite macaroon flavour is strawberry. Right, tweet me that so I know you've listened to this and you came and saw me or something like that and I will give you the discount code. I don't want to put it out in the world for everyone to see because I don't want anyone who isn't a, a, a lovely loyal listener to get that discount code. So if you can come to see that show or you can bring some friends or whatever, please do as it might be but getting recorded for a DVD release thing um, because I'm trying to master all of the antiquated mediums possible. Uh, I did a book last year and I'm doing a DVD again next year. Uh, <laughs> be great. I might might look into uh, I might look into parchment paper next year. That'll be a fun thing to work on. Anyway, so uh, that's about all I need to say. But please do come down and support. If you're new here, please do remember to hit the subscribe button. If you're old here, please do remember to give us an honest, ideally positive review in iTunes. And either way, please do remember to join the Facebook group. It's uh, called RC Industry Podcast, and it's on Facebook, obviously. But for now, without any more delays, this is Joe Caulfield. Yeah. I always start with jokes. Right, I need to uh, write, have some good strong jokes for next year. And then I'll, I'll put those into club sets. Because doing clubs and good clubs is where I go, well, that is, I know is a strong enough joke. Because these people have just come to see a bill of comedy. They're not interested in me remotely. Mm. So it's standing on its own as a joke. I'm also on with comics who are fighting fit at doing 20 minutes. So it has to be a good enough joke that they could do it as well. Mm. Um, you know, that it's a st- of that sort of standard. So this year I had um, some jokes. I had, my, I had an opening joke about Peaky Blinders, people wearing those Peaky Blinder hats and saying, well, it's really good because uh, then... If I look, I've forgotten my joke already. <laughs> That's how the festival is. Um, so what was it? Oh yeah, so I, uh, I'd see a lot of men wearing those Peaky Blinders hats and that's quite useful because then I can tell from far, quite far away that they're a bit of a wanker. And it's a really <laughs> just strong opening gag because it also it sets me up as like, and they're like, oh, that's what Joe does. Oh, she'll just, you know, slam things down and be rude, but it's fun, you know. Um, and then start with a few jokes so I feel strong and then put, but it put them in club sets and the more involved stuff comes much later where I thought, well, I, I do have a, a thing about, uh, I find it interesting that men talk in a conversational way. They talk in, in facts. And my husband has mates where he goes, oh, we just talk about football all night. I go, what you talk about football all night? Uh, someone else, he has a mate and he, they talk about music all night. That's what they do all night. Uh, occasionally one of them will talk about something emotional and my husband will be like, oh, it's a bit weird to start talking about his wife, you know. And so that, the whole thing I wanted to do about men and facts, that came doing actual preview shows where I, uh, there's an audience of, and I, I've got good over the years of knowing who has, who runs good previews. Mm. Um, because that's the hardest part is finding a good preview because there's absolutely no point. And I think I only had one that I thought, this isn't a preview. Um, it was uh, it was in some sort of, was in some sort of um, center for people who weren't doing very well in life in Hartlepool, and I walked in. And I went, oh, this is like a community center. This uh, this audience is just a completely disparate group. They won't understand what I'm doing, and not that I'm esoteric, but they're much more. I'm going to have to bring this to them and just do the jokiest bits out of it because I don't want to do the bits that aren't like that because. They won't work 
and that'll put me off them. Mm. But finding good places where you go, no, if you can get, there was one I did in Ormskirk, he runs a really nice one, and he said, it's only 40 people, but it's packed in a small room, it sells out, they know what it's about. And that was one of the first ones I did, and that was great, because then it gave me lots of confidence to mess about and see where, right, this is a good area, that isn't a good area. And it changes a lot from the beginning of the preview, what I think the show is going to be to what it ended up being in Edinburgh. And because I was rehearsing for the play, the last piece in my show this year, I do a piece about pornography and about threesomes, basically about finding some porn and going, oh, isn't it weird that it's threesomes, always two women and a man. And then I asked men, and there's fun in that because they always say another woman. Would you have an extra man or an extra woman? They go, an extra woman. And then I go... Um, do you know some men uh, say well I wouldn't I'm just happy with my wife because some men do say that mm. but then the men of course they feel really caught out but mm. I did that and then I write a porn film but it's all very silly it's from the point of view of of course I would go oh that's nice someone to chat to and <laughs> I'd bond with the woman and then I'd go oh I've I've had sex with my husband a lot let me you know tell me what you think of yeah. it and that kind of developed by doing it and then i then i wrote another porn film where which is all callbacks to things in the show come into the porn mm. that would be the end and i only did that once before edinburgh because i didn't have time to mm. get it together and i did that but again it was a very good preview that jason cook runs in um south shields custom house there it's a good audience for comedy and i that was the last thing i did and I didn't know if the callbacks would work. Mm. You're doing it going, I, do they remember that I said that thing about Paul McCartney? Oh, they do. Oh, great. Um, and so then knowing, all right, then I can put more. And then I put more callbacks in because mm. I realized, of course, the audience are paying attention and, uh, and you can just mount them up. So it's a, a long process, but start early the earlier you start more you can get on board and then then i can ditch some, then sometimes i'll mm. ditch some of the jokes because i don't need that that's just a jokey joke i can put it in a club set but it's just in the way it's not it's not taking me anywhere in the edinburgh show so your writing process for an edinburgh show versus mm. a club set sounds di like disparate in that your club set kind of is just not off cuts of it but like the kind of punchier off cuts of it yeah punchier you just can't stay on the same subject for as long in a club set um, you can like I, I I've got some stories that I do in stand-up show and I can do them at a club where they're really into me or it's more there's a more concentrated atmosphere like not like at the comedy store because it, that's just too big in a way for this uh, but I have done these stories in clubs but you have to kind of gauge it on the night and go no I think I could do it and also my stories nearly always have a strong punchline because there's nothing worse I think than going that all that way and then going oh there's nothing at the end just you enjoying my company that's not enough I feel um, so there has to have a, a strong punchline but sometimes you're yeah so you do and you can see the audience going why is she still talking about that it seems really weird no she must have been talking about it for three minutes and they sort of start to panic because that's not how long you should talk about something there's a certain amount of time and then you have to move on or you take that subject but you go somewhere else with it um, but there is a definite you can feel it in them when they're going oh no this is wrong what is she doing still talking about that it's just weird because it's only 20 minutes so you can't spend eight minutes doing one thing you might i might spend eight minutes sort of talking about relationships but there's loads of things in that bit but i don't i don't think of it as i suppose i do in that, that, that sometimes i don't have a place for a joke in the edinburgh show 
but I always keep a joke and then go right well I have that joke and then I go oh that could go with that that would be a nice run of jokes together mm. um, but they sort of always have to be I don't do jokes just unrelated jokes like I have a list of oh these are all about appearance to start a show or these are all about going shopping or these are all about TV so if I get one then I go right then I need to find some others that can put them in a little bundle together when you go on to a club set do you have 20 minutes in mind or do you just go or even when you turn up to the room do you sort of think I know this club I know this 20 minute works or would you always go with actually I've done that 20 minutes last time they might all remember it kind of thing I'll, I'll bring out some new bits and, mm. and mix it up what's your process for dealing with a club funniest thing um this end of this just before this festival was I, I i do always do a set list i write out a set list i've got a little notebook sometimes i'm writing the same thing over and over again but just the process of doing it before a gig mm. i like to do some preparation um because as soon as i think well, i didn't prepare you'll go you go well that wasn't so good oh because you didn't prepare so i like there's the process of doing it and also sometimes it reminds me and i'll go oh you've forgotten because i'll do that as well you've forgotten a part of that joke you've been doing half the joke um so that process of going through it but weirdly this time i was thinking oh there's some stuff that i did in my edinburgh show last year that has only just now got really tight and punchy for a club set where I can do it in a club set and it becomes a slightly different thing and I was all excited about that and going oh now I've got I've got to ditch all that but I can bring it back and knowing now I can bring some of it back I can't remember which bit it was but there was certainly a bit I went oh that's really really working now in a club and I suppose it's because it takes you that long some things you know straight away right that's straight into a club set that's that works but other longer pieces you go oh I don't know if I can do that in a club or I'll try it and go oh it's not quite and then then you do it a bit more and then the things get tighter and more clubby so I will then now because I've got stuff in this show at Edinburgh like the threesome thing I think oh that can definitely work in a club but it'll be different because it'll have to be shorter but there's fun in asking people a question in the audience where you know what funny lines you can do about it it's not just randomly asking them a question. Uh, like last year, I had a thing about couples' names uh, that me and my husband, I don't like our names, I say. And we don't sound fun. Who's coming round? Joe and Stuart. Oh, they sound, what, those two old Scottish men. They don't sound fun. So I would ask couples their names and then invent a whole thing about their names. And it was just fun. And you could see people going, wanting to be asked, going, oh, I hope she does us. Mm. You know? And if they've got a good name, like an interesting name, you could see they would say, well, I'm Arabella. Mm. And, and then you can take the piss out of them for loving their own name so much. But also just being very rude and like, I mean, I had a Chantel and a Dean the other night. <laughs> and uh, they could have, I said, no, you're like a Laura and a Richard and you're from Surrey and you're lovely. But they had these terrible sort of Essexy names. Mm. And it was just really funny to play with that. And it, it, you go, God, who knew there was so much in people's names? Mm. And then I would come back to me and my husband and how actually, if you don't like their name, you should change it. And I said, I should, you've got to change it early. And I should have said to him, oh, instead of Stuart, I'm going to call you Julio. And then we'd be Joe and Julio. And then you sort of have a get out of it. So I thought the thing with the threesome, I thought, no, that's a good thing. And also the describing the threesome of going, oh, and we can chat and we can talk about it. But that will, that will definitely work in a club. So I think I've got first gigs back are actually a weekend at the comedy store. So I'll do a mixture of stuff I know definitely works. And then 
that I've done in clubs before and then this stuff, new stuff to put in and I'll be developing a new 20 then from that mm. to go, I'm going to do that 20 for a while. But I always sort of mix in other things because it's just, then you go, oh God, there's so much. And go, oh, but I quite fancy doing that. So I could put that in. So I know, I always think, I know some people just have a 20 and they go, that's my club set and I'm going to do that for two years or whatever. Mm. But I never do that, which makes it more work for yourself. But I feel it means that I'm always, I want to be excited about what I'm saying. And as soon as I go, yeah, that works, but I'm a little tired of it. Get Put it aside and you can have it again later. But put it away and then put something else in. So it, I'm sort of constantly re, re, kind of refreshing it. And then you'll go, oh, well, because I've put that bit in, then I lose that bit and so I've got to add that, you know. So I will be, that'll be a thing to do is to go, what is going to be your 20 minute set for this autumn? And it'll be a little bit of rearranging going on. But then that keeps it interesting yeah. as well. And you, when, when you retire a sort of 20 minute set, mm. Like, have you got like sort of a, I'm bored of it or, or I've done it on TV, like especially TV comics I've spoken to have gone, you pretty much have to burn it at that point. But then some people have gone, actually, they come to see it because they're kind of like, yeah. oh, I've seen it on TV. Oh, I know this or, or, I know this one, she's done this one, it's really good. Like, do you, do you find that promoters, you know, if you send them like a clip of you doing like a McIntyre's mm. Roadshow, they go, come down, we want, it, we want that. Or do you think they come down and they go, just do what you want? I've never heard a promoter say anything like that ever okay um i suppose they know me anyway so i've been on the circuit so this i suppose is different if you're sending it to a promoter who doesn't know you but i think increasingly tv is so disparate you know we're all in our niches so it's not the thing i think the first i did the first series of mcintyre and that did make a difference to my profile mm. now i don't i don't even i don't think live at the apollo makes much difference now because people, they're seeing so many comics. They're seeing so many. They don't. They don't remember. They remember if they really like somebody. Um, and I think, like you, I think they. If you like a routine, you like a routine. Mm. So if you did the same thing on everything, you know. And I have seen them. I've got God. Is that the only piece they have? Because that's <laughs> what I see them do everywhere. Then that's bad. But I think um, I, I, I. You can just rest things for a bit. You know, I did do a line, and I th and then I think, oh no, I could, I can bring that back. I can rest things for five years or something, and then if I feel like, oh no, that would fit beautifully in there, because I feel it's my stuff. You know, it's like a musician. If you want to do it acoustic, it's your song. Do whatever you like with it. If you want to rearrange it, you know, and re-record things. So I think of all my material as like mine to do with whatever I want. So you can bring things back, and you can revamp things, or you can go oh, I didn't know how to do that before, but now I know how to do it. Because you get better or you change or you have newer sk new skills. And you go, oh, I used to not be able to do that sort of thing. Oh, I think I could do it now. But I don't really worry about things that I've said on television. You worry immediately afterwards. After it's gone out, you worry for a sort of couple, you know, maybe two months that you think everyone is going, but we just saw that on television. But then you realize they don't and they don't remember. Or like you say, they actually quite like seeing it because they enjoyed it. Mm. And how do you, because obviously Twitter is a place where people can love and hate you mm. very quickly when they've seen you on TV. How do you deal with like Twitter haters and, and how much do you embrace sort of people that go, oh, I loved your, you know, do you let that big you up too much or do you, or do you kind of just keep them as they're just all comments and I don't take any of them on board? It's, it, it's, it is a tricky balance because I, I sort of feel you can't take either. So if everybody 
it's not to dismiss their opinion, but if ever you know if people are really enjoying the show and they're tweeting, I really really loved it, and that's that. I sometimes don't read them, like especially in Edinburgh, because I think. Yeah, but you're you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you've come and you've enjoyed it, but I've got to keep my eye on what I'm doing, and because I know I I know my faults, and I go, oh, you'll get too comfortable and you'll be rambly. I have to make myself stick to the words and keep it tight. I'm always saying, well, keep it tight, keep it tight, keep it tight. I always say to myself, tight jokes, loose show. When you're doing the actual material, that's tight. When you're talking to people, in the, that can be, that can go, but what, don't do that with the material. So I sort of, I honestly try, it's weird, because you're sort of trying to be engaging with people, but at the same time not to go, to let it affect you of going, oh, but they just love me. They really love me. So, oh, it doesn't matter. Um, and then if people hate you, they don't bother me so much, the haters, because I know that uh, not everybody can like you. So I don't really understand why people get so upset by it. And I've got in trouble with people, certain comics, who I think there's a sensibility around now that I don't have. And I thought I was being supportive. Somebody had put a thing saying that everybody hates them on social media and people, somebody had said some really nasty things. And so I put a thing saying, but you've got to realise it doesn't matter. This isn't about you. This is just a thing they want to do. This is someone who doesn't know you at all uh, and you don't know them. And they're saying something because they, that is what they have chosen to say something mean to someone they don't know and it's not based on anything. Then I got a massive reply from them and I thought, oh, now you're doing it to me. Yeah. <laughs> of going, well, it's not like that. Um, it's really hurtful and you shouldn't let people get away with it. And I was like, all oh, right, well, if you want to stew in it, I think mm. some people st- like to stew in it. I just think, I do kind of think, so what? You know, and then people go, but they said they wanted to rape me. I go, well, people have said they want to rape me. You know, th- that is, they do say terrible things, mm. but it's a hobby. That's what they do for a hobby. And no, they shouldn't be allowed to say things like that about women. And uh, no, they wouldn't say it about men. But they say the other things about men. They look for whatever is, you know, the, the thing that you're allowed to do for that person. And they know that they can say women, you know, oh, whether it's age or weight or, or unattractiveness, you know, whatever it is that they can attack women on, they will do it. And so I'm always surprised when they go, well, it's really misogynistic. They wouldn't say that to a man. I go, no, but they'll attack them in a different way. Mm. They know conventionally that's a way you can attack women. So I think it's, I just don't see why you let them get you. That they're, they're not people who know you. It's, it's controlling your reaction to the problem more yes. than anything, I think. Because everyone everyone lets little things get I mean if I get a tweet from someone that went you were shit today or something like that yeah. of course it's going to hurt me in that three seconds once yes. I've read it yes. but after that I sort of go well what, you know let's, uh, we, can either, we can talk this out if you want you can tell me specifically why I was shit or I can just go with well you're never going to come and again this is not me going back to you'll never see them yeah. again but the kind of uh, I'm not for everyone and I don't want to be for everyone yeah. because if I was I wouldn't be getting anywhere so you can you can t- take the time to do that if you want, yeah. or you could have taken the time to tell someone you like that you like them. And yeah. I, and I just think if you're the type of person who would take the time to, to just say your shit, yeah, you're not the type of person I want to come back and see me because you're only, you know, you're, you're probably looking for negatives rather than enjoying yourself. Yeah. And I don't want people who don't want to enjoy no, that themselves. No, that is exactly what they're doing because then you know when I sort of see what they do, 
and then I look on their timeline and I see, oh, you're doing this to loads of people. Mm. That and that's why I say it's their hobby. That's really, what they do. Yeah. Um, there were certain things that happened, like with the Scottish referendum. I realised, no, I have to keep out of this living here because and and I have loads of friends who are SNP, big SNP supporters. Most of the comics up here are. So they will disagree with me and say, oh, it wasn't just SNP. It wasn't just SNP. But to me, I thought, no, they, you've got some crazies. <laughs> and they were very violent people on, on in their language. And and also, it's just relentless, like a whole horde of them. And then they'll, they'll poke each other and all come down on you. And I just thought, well, this isn't a fight I can win. Mm. It's not fun because I'm trying to find find the pros and cons here but of course you can't because mm. I nearly did a tweet about Alex Salmon today and went oh don't Joe don't <laughs> don't because you'll just you know you've then, then you'll poke the stick into the nest and then they'll all come at you and that that's just not fun because right? there's too many of them as well and I think and the, there's no room for discussion either mm. so sometimes you have to go well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get involved in that sometimes you get involved in something and you go oh I didn't realise that was a you know a swarm of wasps that was going to come out. You think you've said something quite innocuous, but yeah. then you go, oh right, people are really upset about that. <laughs> so right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. You you can never quite tell what you've said until you've said it. Yeah, and then it's really hard because people, especially tone is lost written down a lot of yes. times. So yes. people just take what they want. Like there were some people. So this year, for example, a lot of women got to the final of I think it was the, it was either the newcomer or the best show in right. the, the the comedy awards and stuff and obviously there was loads of discussion about that given what happened last year and you know i i was a bit like okay well have your say you don't need to make it too gendery here because you know it's, what happened last year i can't even remember oh well, well if we stick with this year for now the mm. the the there i think it was last year there were more i think there were more people at a s certain specific venues and it was more was it last year it might have been last year or the year before it was basically all men Right. And there were no women into the final. And then this year, I think there was, I think it was about half or it was about three, three quarters to a quarter. That's, no, two, I can look it up, actually. I'm mm. looking like a tit now, but forgetting the numbers on it. But there were just a lot more women in the thing. Yeah. And obviously, there was a lot more talk of, um, you know, sort of balance and, and gender equality mm. and all that sort of movement. But then there yeah. was also discussion of whether there's a quota or whether there's an agenda yeah. behind the award. And there's, a, there's an agenda behind every award mm. because there's a prize. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. If you have a prize, you have a criteria. Therefore, you have an agenda to who you want to win. Mm. So it's not a surprise to me that there is an agenda behind every award. Yeah. But people act like there's some sort of Illuminati, you know, secret BBC hands moving things around. Mm. And it just seems really odd to me. I mean, you've, you've won um, two awards that have labelled uh, a woman in it. So, mm. like, you won the Chortle that uh, funniest female comedian awards mm. uh, a little while ago, um, and the funniest woman in the laughter awards. And I wondered what you thought about gendering in awards. Well, I'm very over awards. Okay. <laughs> so the fact that you're talking about that, I'm like, I don't. It proves it to me. I have no idea what happened last year. This year, I tried to keep out of it. I know Larry Dean was nominated, or I think he won. Maybe mm. I don't know. And I and I was pleased because I think he's very good. I also think he's very sellable. Because sometimes they give it to someone and it makes me laugh because they go, you can't do anything with that person. Mm. Yeah, they did a great show, but they cannot be used anywhere. Um, and then you find out, oh, yeah, you, you see, Brendan Burns couldn't do anything with him. And that, that happens to a certain amount of people. It's, and then at the same time, and I will, I'm going to ask us, a friend of mine was on the panel. She's a journalist. 
and I go, uh, I am never seen because I, and I go, oh, this is when you talk about quotas, I go, okay, so everyone was going, oh, but no, this person is only going, so what about older people? The fact that I consistently come up with new shows and new ideas in those shows and new inventions in the shows, that counts for nothing. I'm just not on the list that you of shows that you go and see. So that to me means, well, you, who, what, so I, there's so many comics that I go, so they're, they're not remotely considered. None of these people, Andrew Maxwell, he's not considered. He's an amazing comic, always has, I always learn something. He's always got a great opinion on whatever is going on. We're not in it. So to me, it's not a whole comedy award, you know. And also it does, it, no, uh, it's sort of, I think it's just best to keep out of it because it so, it's so odd and strange and some people you go, not at all. Some people go, yeah, absolutely. Uh, awards are useful for putting on. So anything I've got and go, I'll put it on. I got an award from Scott's Gay Fringe this year, Scott's Gay for Fringe Show. That's really lovely. So I can put, I can put, put that up. It's like your stars. Put it up if it'll sell tickets and things. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I make this comment without any judgment or comment on anyone who actually got to the final of this this year. Yeah. But what I found really interesting was all the comedians I particularly love and go and see and, and you know, sort of, or even, or even want to see or whatever mm. it is, tend to be someone who's been going about 20 plus years or 15 plus years. Mm. And most of the people that get to, obviously the newcomer will avoid that yeah. just because that's the new one. But for the best show, I'm always like, how come there's never anyone or yeah. it doesn't ever feel like there's anyone who's been going... No. X amount of years and don't get me wrong I'm not saying that someone who's 22 and has been going you know like a year hasn't got an opinion or hasn't yeah. got a valid opinion I'm just saying I think you're better the longer you've been going usually like obviously there are some people mm. who never improve or never ch- and, and I yeah. get that but it just seems odd and then you have things like the um, I think it's called the, the silver comedian of the year or like the old comedian you know they have like uh, awards for, for oh yes it was called silver something wasn't it and again you go well I, I what is that about I was yeah. just like I don't want to be part of that yeah. and and that's not me being ages just go but why are you putting me in that why would you do that it's just, I don't know it just seemed ludicrous mm. you know to put everybody in little things like that of these oh I don't oh god no yeah so it's weird it's just always it comes down to the thing of just but I, I suddenly thought oh no I do have a point about that about the age thing and about so and I was thinking of it for things like you know if it was a Booker Prize or things like that would you go oh Hilary Mantel she's getting on a bit let's not read any more of her books I thought you wouldn't do it in something else you would go oh no they're we presume people are getting better if you're artistic and you're working at something there's a journey in your work but mm. no it's like after you know maybe 10 years that they're, they're, they're absolutely you're not considered yeah mm. At all. Do you know which awards or which credits you put on your poster actually sell tickets? Do you ever like check mm. with them and be like, did you come because of this? Did you come because you were flyed? What, was, what brings people in now for you? What brings people in for me, I think, I, I know from talking to people afterwards, because I, I do a charity collection, so I always talk to people afterwards, which I think is nice as well anyway. Um, and they say, see you next year, mm-hmm. which is lovely. Mm-hmm. See you next year, Joe, like I'm their pal. Uh we saw you last year or we always come and see you or our friends said to come and see you so an awful lot of word of mouth uh or and consistency that you're on their list because they've seen your shows before and you haven't let them down so that's why i think it's a thing if you can't just do a show going oh i got away with that because you you don't know they won't come and see you again because you think 
oh, that was okay. It wasn't great. It was okay. Well, then why would they come and see you again if it was just okay? So it has to keep up a standard. Um, Twitter uh, definitely helps. And I sort of cultivate people, which sounds awful to say it like that all year, but I have a relationship with people. And it, you can learn things either side as well, which is what is lovely about Twitter. Um, and then it, it also widens, you know, because I'm, I'm very into certain types of music. So then I get some old punks coming along. And that's really nice as well, next to my more kind of Radio 4 Surrey people that come. Um, so it's quite a mixture of people. And the other thing in actually Edinburgh, I think what really works is any kind of show where those lunchtime shows where you do a bit of what you do, um, whether it's Mervyn Stutter or Joss Jones does her showcase show and people decide to buy tickets from those. Mm. Or I know doing Michael Parkinson's little chat show, those kind of shows people will fight to get a leaflet from you because they're actively looking for what can we buy tickets to and then they will do they will go and see you from those and i don't think late night shows pointless just do it for the cash if you need the cash but people don't buy from that but the actual terms of all you know the big leaflets poster thing i've i um like you had said earlier i have a couple some posters that are mostly in my venue <laughs> so i have no posters around town at all I none think, i think in your venue i always put up posters because i think if they've seen something else yeah. it's convenient they're nearby you, you know you get lazy or you think well you know what we've got a 20 you know an hour and a half till the next one and we've got to walk that way why don't we see one more here kind of thing yeah and and i know that about 10 percent of my audience were we were in the venue which is quite a chunk of people that just were like it's the right time and you're here so why yeah. not um and if they're going to take a punt on you you know you want them to be slightly invested obviously but if, the, if 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 you can make that happen and add a few more people into your yeah. room i think it's worth doing but i don't put posters up all over the place because I think it becomes just white noise. I think it just, they don't know what's going on. It's an awful lot of money. I also don't pay for PR. I do it myself through Twitter and contact papers. Mm. You can do, you can really do all that yourself mm. now. I don't know what people are paying for half the time. And then also I'm lucky because I've been doing it a long time. Um, I have contacts in terms of people who know I'm here, like Radio 5 got in touch with me or the, they got in touch with the stand to say oh we'd like to have joe on so people a lot of things that people are paying P pr for are going oh well, they got in touch with me anyway you know i can do that anyway mm. so and all those little things you don't know uh if they work or not oh but they did that was it and then i did um the afternoon show on bbc scotland grant stocks i do a radio show with him up here and I had people come that night who said, oh, we saw, and then the next day, and they said, oh, we saw you, it was a live recording. That was the one I cancelled you for. It was the live <laughs> recording, the BBC tent. And people from seeing my chat with him, not from weirdly from listening on the radio, but again, from physically seeing you be funny in front of them, went and bought tickets. Mm. Um, so all those things in Edinburgh, I think, do work. If they see a bit of you being funny live, they go, all right, let's... Uh, you know, even things like doing STV, I don't think that makes people buy tickets. But there's something about, oh, no, I've, you've proved it in front of them. Mm. That's worth spending money on a ticket. I went, I went too far this year. I overfought posters and I got a, a box made, which just had a hole in it. And it just said, please do not look in this box. And it had my poster in it. So I was like wheeling it out places, yeah. hoping people would like look in it. 
because oh it says mm. don't look in it it's yeah. the Edinburgh Fringe why would you not no one looked in it because everyone thought someone's going to jump out or something and so I was like I've spent all this time and effort doing it but I thought it'd be fun to hide your poster and yeah. like, make it a little challenge for people to find went the complete wrong way because it just wasted a lot of time and effort but yeah. I, I think you can do that though when you overthink marketing yes. you just have to keep it really simple and go right did that work today let's try it again tomorrow let's see yeah. if it builds and then every day you sort of think okay like you said late night shows I don't find people but I find the earlier shows do yes. like lunchtime shows absolutely people come down immediately they do. because they're like oh yeah we haven't got a slot for that and they're there then or you know oh we haven't planned today oh great we saw they were really funny for 10 minutes at mid if they could be funny at midday yeah what are they going to be at 9pm you know yeah gonna be absolutely yeah and also I I mean this year all I did in flyering and that's why I got a ton of flyers left is um, because of where the stand is and because there's nothing in St. Andrew's Square, so geographically the festival is moved away. So there's no there's no passing trade there. It's mm. pointless flyering around that area. So the Brexit play, I thought that's 300 people in the Pleasance Courtyard. They will, and it was a good part for me, so I thought they will like me. Uh, I'll have my flyer and I said just do the queue when they come out that's mm-hmm. all I want you to do mm-hmm. because you know and then you're not allowed to flyer in the Pleasance mm-hmm. if you're from somewhere else so I said you can fly sort of as you leave um, but you won't be allowed to fly around the Pleasance after that but I thought well, well, that's a great target because that's 300 people at once mm-hmm. who've just seen me mm-hmm. and uh, and the flyer said oh yeah they're taking them you mm-hmm. know and that's the thing when people are going oh oh is it her yes yeah, thank yeah. you we'll have it yeah but and then that was that was all the flyering I did mm. I didn't do them anywhere else apart from when I went like to Mervyn Stutter or something and and did that then you give your flyer to them and they do a very sensible thing if they give everyone a bundle right. they have a little paper bag and it's got everyone's flyer in so mm. you don't they don't have a gamut of people to get through they mm. just take one of these bundles yeah, which yeah, is yeah. a neat way of doing it yeah but I think there's a lot of uh, smoke and mirrors and nonsense talked about with the PR and the poster and the ca- big campaign. I think a lot of it is it pacifies the ego of the comic. And mm. I've done that myself one mm. year going, oh, I need big posters up. Mm. And then they put up posters and went, well, did that make any difference, Joe? Well, I feel better because I see them and then realize that that got more secure maybe. <laughs> and went, well, that's nonsense, you know, because mm. it's not worth it's not worth the money of it. I think it's just no, you know, building up and that people know you're there, and always trying, you know, and trying to find other ways to do what we were saying. Other ways to do ten minutes somewhere where there's a lot of people and they can see what you do, and then they'll buy a ticket. Mm. Well, you you do a new show every year, and obviously there's the word of mouth of people saying you're mm. great. Do you find that creatively, uh, well, specifically the second part of that creatively uh, constricting? Because if they're telling each other, oh, she's great, she does this. If you come along with a new show that's a bit experimental or a bit different or a bit, you know, it's got new ideas in that you've not covered before or something like that, do you ever find that they're they're coming for something different and a bit, not disappointed, but they're a bit like, oh, they said that she does a lot of stuff on X and she did a lot of stuff on Y and we were expecting... Do you find that ever or is that... I think, I think I'm quite honest in that... I, honest with myself and with the audience in that I, I wouldn't give them something that was totally different to what I normally do mm. without saying that. Right. Um, like, I think they come to my show, well, they know my personality, so I think they know, right, Joe's going it's, to, it's funny. It's funny, and I even say to them, like, and I do, like, about five jokes, and then I go, if you haven't seen me before, and you're going, oh, what's the show about? What's the show? Is this it? Yes, this is it. This yeah. is what I do. Uh, and I say, if you're looking for something deeper, fuck off now. Um, and then I... Because I think 
I had, yeah, it's just, I mean, I, I suppose I, I just do what I do. So I know that it's always going to be of a certain tone. Um, but there are within that a lot of I, what I try to do is the variety is in the in the different ways you can do comedy. Like I want there to be lots of jokes, lots, uh, but also routines. So then have more observational routines. Then have something that is interaction that I have worked out how I get out of it. So it's got an end to the interaction. Then something that's uh, some a, a story, a two sort of short stories. Um, that had punchlines and then something that's not me just talking and that this year was reading the porn films that I'd written so it's finding devices and finding what are all the many different ways that I can put that I can do comedy in an hour so that there's lots of variety and it's not just me talking um, so I think I think about much more about that um, and so it, they might go oh it's different this year she did a little act out thing or but really they're not they're just going to think oh it's still joe like i thought about doing i thought if i want to do something because i've been writing a lot about grief i thought if i want to do something about that i would do it the afternoon and i would be very clear this is a different show because mm. i think i think it's not that you're not allowed to express yourself artistically you've got to tell them what you're selling mm. you know if you go oh we always go to joe because um it's really nice she does a lovely pie and uh, and you get chips and i actually i don't often need a starter and then we went and it was just salad she just gave us all salad and there was no warning that it was going to be salad and that's not what we were in the mood for mm. then you know i think i don't think you have a right to say well i wanted to do something different well tell them tell them it's going to be mm. different and maybe don't charge you know 15 pounds yeah if you're doing something different i i did have a thing in this year i think comics should be much more aware of what their shows cost yes i got very frustrated this year because there are a lot of comedians who were charging what i thought was a ridiculous i mean this is the problem i don't know what their venue costs i don't know what their split is i don't i don't know and i also don't know what their extra costs are with you know like i said prs and managements and stuff but there were some people i was like i i you know let's say you saw famous comedian Y mm. who's been going 15 years do a tenor and then you saw new comedian Z doing one for 15 you're like I, I'll come see you in London then when you do it for a fiver at the Bill Murray or you know whatever it is yeah. you know it, it just seemed really odd to try and but again I the problem is I can't judge it too much because again if you don't know what it's costing them mm. then you don't know what that is but I do know what you mean as in mm. uh, especially economically with Brexit and with people being a bit not tighter but just aware mm. of things that are going I was very I mean I kept everything to a fiver every show I was doing yeah. fiver even preview fiver every tour show except for two are yeah. a fiver because A it means I don't have to think about it if someone says how much the ticket I just know mm. and it's easier but also I, I know I'm not charging an excessive amount and it feels like a nice round number yeah yeah who picks it for you? Do you well, I, uh, well, I think... No, I do. Okay. Um, because I, my agent doesn't have anything to do with Edinburgh in that she, in, except that she just comes and watches the show because I, I, when I went to her, I had already had my arrangement with the stand. So um, as she has nothing to do with it. She wouldn't take any money. So mm. I, you know, I do it all myself. And the stand asked me how much you want your ticket to be. And most of the evening shows were 12 and I've had it at 10 for a while, and I just thought, I'd rather keep it at 10. It feels like a, like you said, I like, uh, 10 is a nice round number, and also I think it's only an hour. On tour, I do 2.45 minutes. It's an evening with, isn't it? Mm. But this is just an hour. Mm. Um, 
I think that's a fair price. Um, and also the stand I know is different because they, they give you a much better split. Um, so I do very well, that's fine. And I think that's fair on the audience. And all, another thing that I don't like that the venues do, but I just think comics should know what their ticket price is. And I'm always surprised when they go, oh, I didn't know they did that. That venues putting up the tickets on Saturday nights. I think is wrong because I think Saturday night that's when people usually traditionally people with a lower income go out on Saturday night that's their mm. big night out so it's that it's so basic capitalism more people want to go out on Saturday night so we're going to hike the price up I just feel as a comic you should be you know especially everyone supposedly being all lefty you you go well that's that's just being greedy just don't be greedy mm and say no I won't have that but I'm surprised how few get involved in the pricing mm. the other thing I thought this year some free fringe shows to the point where I'm going you're going to ruin this for yourselves uh, I thought I can't see another show where I have to listen to that bucket speech mm-hmm. where people were saying shows uptown are 15 and 20 pounds no they're not mm. some weekends are 18 pounds mm. uh, I'm in a venue i'm not charging 15 to 20 pounds so they were telling people to charge to put in 10 pounds in the bucket Mm. people next to me had got out fivers and then Mm. went oh no no you have to and they got out more money yeah so i thought they've been totally bullied into giving 10 pounds that's not the point of the whole point of the free fringe was people going to be able to were going to see more shows they were going oh it's great and people would say oh it's great we book in the tickets for the shows we want to see and then we just take a punt on things Mm. and we saw this person it was great and we told other people so and then they're now they're getting an audience Mm. but then as soon as you're saying oh and it was 10 pounds well now they can only see two shows instead of four shows. Mm. People are getting, and I thought you're you're gonna spoil this for yourselves, and it's it's greedy and it's not fair, and you don't have the same costs that people in the Pleasants are having. That is, that's an expensive place to go because the deal I don't think is great. Mm. Um, but you're not spending the money that they are. I just thought it was totally unfair, and I just thought it's short-sighted and greedy. Mm. But bullying's a uh, sorry, I didn't interrupt you. But bullying to me is a good way of putting that because I felt when I went to free fringe shows, mm. I, I felt less pressured because I know the system a lot better than yeah. I feel a general punter would. But every time I heard that speech, that that frustrated me, and I tried my best when I was doing it to basically avoid that comparison because a I don't think they are comparable. Like no. when you come to a free fringe show, you come in for kind of a little bit more rough around the edge, a little bit more uh, fringe, if you like. Yeah. Like literally, you're coming yeah. in for something that you know is the a little bit more budget. Is greeting you and exactly. putting on their own music. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. So, so for me to go, well, it's a tenor there, so it should be a tenor. You're like, well, no, like you, you've got a room in a pop up venue in a you know sort of squat that usually isn't used for anything whereas they've got a classroom in a uni that's getting a lot of funding as a result of this festival i you can't i mean i I get it because it helps get more money in the bucket but then you're going do you need like not do you need the money because everyone needs money but you know do you need to make them feel that way why can't you let them make their own decision about what to do and and i i i don't know yeah it did make me feel uncomfortable on a couple of shows where you're like just just be honest with me as a as an audience member say you know what it's cost money to put on the show if you've got a five or a five would be great if you're not a couple of quid would be amazing you know it, it, and also if you don't enjoy it I, I always put this in and I say if you don't enjoy it just look me in the face say thanks and leave like I'd rather you didn't give any money I know that sounds really arrogant and sort of like in a privileged position to say well I can turn down but it's like 
I've offered Which you this for right. free. Yeah, yes. I've offered yeah. you this for free. And as a part of the ethos of it, because I, yes. I was with PBH as well, as, as part of the ethos of this, I've said it's free before you've come in. Exactly. So I'm asking you for an optional donation. And I know some people, you know, were sort of not, again, this is bullying is probably too mm. big a word, but they were saying, you know, don't steal comedy, give us a donation, you know, all this sort of stuff. And you're like, how can you, how can you start, a rela- if you're hoping they come back, like we were saying before, yeah. how can you start a relationship with an audience member by saying, don't steal my comedy? You let them in for free. Yeah. You know, it's like paper ticketing your show and then going, give me that tenor on the way out because you clearly had a laugh. Yeah, that's yeah. totally not what it is. It's not stealing your comedy. Like you say, it's called Free Fringe. The idea is we'll put out our show and then it's up to you. Mm. You know, be lovely if you think it's worth £10. Fantastic. But I bet you don't think that about every Free Fringe show. No. Some you're going, do you know what? It's three quid. Yeah. You know, or it's five quid. And that, and that to me was the whole point of it and why it was so great and also that it was like, hey, open anywhere, put on a show, but it's not the same expense. And I think it was helpful for some people to get, to share the audience around more. People were able to go to see more shows, but they're not going to if they went, oh, we had to pay £10 for that one. Mm. Also, it's a pay-to-play festival. Mm. So naturally with pay-to-play festivals, I think I kind of, I don't write off the money, but I automatically assume that if I'm going to pay it, like I'm going to pay anything towards it, just assume that at some point you you, you might get it back from like a tour thing, but mm. it probably won't be direct from the festival. And and I, 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 you know, obviously there's people that like yourself who can make it work as an economy. There are some people who, you know, have their agent and chuck them in a big room and mm. then, then they hope the tour will pay it off like I used to do. But if you're paying to play, mm. like with a pay to play gig, you know, like we have a lot of them in London, you kind of can't turn around afterwards and go, I did well, didn't I? Can I have, you know, you can say it'd be nice next yeah. time if I could have some money, but I, I feel like turning the table, like the bait and switch act of doing that to an audience member mm. doesn't set that relationship off on the right yeah. path. And I'm not against them, the comic making money, obviously. No, and I thought that was what was great. I thought, well, this works for everybody. Comics making money. The punters are getting a good chance to see more shows and cheaper but they're, now the comics are tipping, some, not all of them, but some are, got, are tipping the balance too much in their favor because they've got greedy and gone, oh, this is a cash cow. And you mm. go, well, you can, you can run it dry then. You mm. be careful. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about TV. Yeah. Let's move on from Edinburgh and talk about panel shows specifically. Um, do you enjoy panel shows? Um, I enjoy them once they're done. And uh, I think the last time I did Have I Got News For You, I did, I did enjoy it because I had, had good stuff because, I mean, what they do is they basically go, these are the stories that are in the news that we'll be talking about. And uh, it was Robert Mugabe was, had lost the election and they were saying that his wife was wanting to take power. And I was like, oh, God, Robert Mugabe, oh, this is a tough one. Oh. But then, I, then but I, were, I thought of it. I thought about it and I had some good routines. Um, so I really... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Enjoyed it. And, I, and also they give you plenty of time on that show because there's not as many comics. You know, that's why you know, people go on about Mock the Week. Well, it's so competitive because there's seven comedians. Mm. Have I got news for you? There was just Paul and me. The host wasn't a comic and the other person was a presenter, although she was funny. Um... So there's much more space to, for you to get in a joke. And also there's less likelihood that somebody else has already said it. Because mm-hmm. that's the other thing that happens on Mock the Week. You know, you're automatically, a lot of you will think of the same joke if it's topical. Mm-hmm. And go, oh, and then go, oh God, they've said that one. And that was the only one I had on that subject. And also it's, it's very, it's sort of quite short stuff. Whereas I, Have I Got News For You, I thought suited the kind of things I do more. Uh, so I enjoyed that. And... Um, I do a radio one, a radio show here, mm. which I love doing, BBC Scotland, because I went, oh, this is such joy, because they do it like it's a quiz. So, and the idea is that people are playing along at home, but you can just be funny as well, but not in a way where you have to write a load of jokes the night before. It's just, oh, do I have any thoughts about Led Zeppelin? Or how do I know so much about... Uh, roads in England because I'm on the road and you'll have a little story and it was just much more anecdotal and like conversational but having a quiz as well and then they have a quick fire round which is just a great way for you to just think off the top of your head to just think of silly funny answers and that's very enjoyable and uh, it's a fun team so I do I do like that but there's you know obviously there's pressure with anything that's high profile you know, high pressure, high reward is the thing. So, you know, you expect them to be quite, that you're going to be a bit, oh, you know. And then some things you go, well, I don't think it's me. Like I did news quiz and I thought, I don't think it's me. I just don't know why. I felt, <laughs> I felt like, I suppose I don't do topical stuff. I don't do politics because I get too angry about po- mm. I mean, I genuinely am quite political. So I find I can't be funny. I just mm. want to yell about all of them and I hate them all. So I find it when people are making sort of, 
jokes in a kind of in a way that flatters them you know oh Jeremy Corbyn this I just go he's just a disaster what you know I get so angry about it that and then I was like well that's really not very funny mm-hmm. um or they'll be funny about an injustice and I go I can't be funny about stuff like that because yeah. it's an injustice and I'm, I'm already angry about it so it's just I thought well, it's not it's not for me <laughs> I think but I like stuff where it's more more about life then that's more where my comedy is mm. um yeah so but they you know they're very good for profile that's the thing and it's become much more of a model now of um it's like a big advert the best thing you want is to do something like live at the apollo anywhere where you can do stand up it's like you're being paid to do an advert for what you do i did the john bishop show and it was a really nice and they paid well and it was a nice nice clip and you go that is what more could you want that's you doing what you do and that people see you and then they would like you and want to follow what work you do and buy tickets on tour or see you in edinburgh and things you know and that's the way it's gone you know now like now sarah millican doesn't want to do her own tv show that's an Mm. incredible position to be in Mm. she's going no i'll go on panel shows and i'll go on the one show and do what i do but has chosen not to do television because she didn't really enjoy doing her own show. That's amazing. You know, that, I mean, I like that because that's the power in the comedian, the power of live, but it's also because she has an amazingly high profile. Mm. So you can do that. Whereas most of us are going, oh, I just need, you know, I need, <laughs> I need to get a couple of bits of telly mm. and radio just to remind people who I am. Yeah, yeah. I just need that, you know. And luckily, they repeat things. So people think mm. you're on TV more than you are. So yeah. that's good. People are still saying, oh, you're on Mock the Week when I haven't done it for years. Yeah. Um, but it's just that, just to see your face, or, or if it's a talking head show, just to see your face. They go, oh, we saw you talking about disaster movies the other night. And you're like, oh, God, people do watch those things. <laughs> and I think it's also that you've got to be, um, as long as you're, st- you're, you're, you're yourself and you sell yourself, because sometimes you've got to be very careful well not so much men but women have to be very careful sitting in a makeup chair because uh, makeup people are bored and usually they're doing a load of men mm. and they've got nothing to do and then they get a woman and they go oh brilliant yeah. do you want false eyelashes do you want this do you want that or oh, do your hair all up and I go no because that doesn't look like me mm. and uh, so a few times and I've seen women I go oh god you've done them up and somebody once said to me I really like you on telly because you always look like yourself and I went oh good because I've seen some people I go well it's not really a good advert because that's not you Mm. you don't normally look like that which is confusing because people should know what you look like and just be able to go oh yeah that's that person so i think always try to be the you you are on stage when you're on television you know which i think was why (laughs) when i went on the one show i thought oh i was the acerbic joe caulfield not on the one show because (laughs) i've realized oh i'm a little harsh for there because uh, they like everything that's the thing in light entertainment and i realize oh if you go on those shows you've got to do it the way they are but somehow Mm. be yourself because they love everything everyone who comes on is amazing and they love everything and they love everyone (laughs) and you see that like this weird like scariness in their eyes it's like a oh what's that a, a sort of bullying joy yeah. that you must like everything. Um, and I'm not like that <laughs> at all. And I think I made a remark about something. It was music. Oh, they had a stupid thing about what women, music women like and music men like. And the women songs, well, why have the men got all the good tunes on this list, mm. you know? And they were like, oh, but don't you like Abba? And I went, yeah, but I don't just like Abba. Mm. And, uh, and I think, 
Oh, when they said, oh, something really catchy, I said, oh, by catchy, do you mean shit? Um, <laughs> and then they were like, oh, and their horrified little joyous eyes went, oh, yeah. she said it's something she didn't like, you yeah. know. So I went, oh, right. So I think you have to make a decision. Like, you can't go on those shows and be moody and like, well, I'm not here for this kind of show. Well, don't do it. Or I have to go on there and go, right, how do I make it? And how do I do that show but still be myself? And don't look in their eyes because they've got that sort of madness of enthusiasm for everything, no matter what it is. Yeah. Because you, you're going to be edited in a, in a way that you can't control. You're, you know, most comedians who go on those shows don't have the power to say, I want to see editorial control or I want to know what's going into yeah, it. Yeah, no, you don't at all. No. no. So no matter how much you try and play yourself at some point they might edit you to look slightly different to what you are or like or like edit a joke or, or put it in a different order to make it look slightly different like you're more combative than you were have you ever, have yeah. you ever felt like edited in a way that has made it look different than when it was at the time um i don't think so actually i i, I know some people have been on things and gone oh the way they edited it i was hardly on at all but I, I think I know that, especially with panel shows, I know you, you've got to be funny in every subject. Mm. There's no got point going, oh, well, I was really funny about the Robert Mugabe thing, and then I didn't do anything on the next one, and then I did a tiny thing on that. But they'll put in all the Robert, because they go, well, do you know what, dropping Robert Mugabe completely. Mm. So I know that you have to be funny in everything. So some people sometimes feel they were unfairly edited. to go, Oh, it looks like I, I hardly said anything, but I did. Um, and they go, well, they chose to make that subject the big subject. I know you only did one joke on that mm. subject so you ha have to kind of prepare in that way for everything but i don't think i've been unfairly edited no no i wouldn't say that at all i think there's more you know i'd go oh that was my mistake that i didn't realize what kind of show it was and uh, and also i have to you have to change a mindset sometimes like it was funny enough it was the one show again it was paul merton and they did a whole thing about his name Paul Merton and who he might be related to and it was their you know terrible sort of comedy piece badly researched and uh, and I was sitting there going well that's not his name his, name, his real name's Martin he's mm. not called Paul Merton I thought Ever doesn't everybody know that how do mm. you not know that and I thought oh what's he going to do and Paul Merton quite nicely but just straight away went oh that's really good what a shame I'm not called Paul Merton <laughs> <laughs> and just like Awkward. the whole thing collapsed yeah. you know and they but I thought I would have been I would have gone, oh, how I really hate those kind of contrived bits of badly produced comedy. Mm. But he just he just uh, deflated it, but in the nicest possible way. Yeah. You know? So he was true to himself. He didn't go along with it and go, mm. or he didn't apologize because it was mm. their stupidity. Yeah. Whereas I think I might have got very annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> I have to control my being annoyed sometimes, yeah. When you go on these, is it a case of you're looking at it, like you said, it's a paid advert, or is it a case of a stepping stone to being more famous, or is it, what's your discussion with, is it your management, I assume, who helps you get these, or do you get them on your own? Yeah, they would get, they would, I mean, I suppose they would get it, uh, or sometimes things come directly, yeah, but I suppose it depends, like I, I would never do, the, I don't pay for PR, so if I, if I was doing a tour, I suppose what happens with most people is if they're doing a tour, they've got a PR and the PR has said, you're going on this show. So you've paid somebody to get you on it, so that's a different thing, whereas I would go, right, I do need people to see me. I mean, I never think of it in terms, I mean, fame is such a, a, a horrible word to use, but I don't think of it, I think of it as more... Well, I need more people to know me and like what I do. That's the thing. I need to be on there, but I also need to be myself and hope that they like that and then want to come and see me. 
you know it's a necessary thing for people to want to see you uh, for, for for people to need to know what what mm. I look like and to go oh that's Joe Caulfield she does comedy you know that's my livelihood so but I, I don't I, uh, you know that way madness lies if you're going well I'm doing this show and then I'm going to be huge <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. because also be careful what you wish for because you know having friends that are very famous it's it's not easy it's not an easy life I think sometimes and I don't know how much of that I would want I think I'm at I think everybody most people I talk to would like to be their level and a tiny bit more mm. <laughs> but even people who are really famous mm. they want more mm. and you go oh when does it stop that is kind of crazy but I know you know I need I need I need a more profile for to have a, a better tour and that would be nice because then I can do what I do but at the same time I stopped touring because I missed clubs I love doing comedy clubs and I love doing bit hanging around with comics in a comedy room you know and mm. I feel sorry for very famous comics who go oh you don't get to do that I mean again Sarah's done a very clever thing of she's recreated that in her little warm-up tours mm. and she does new materials and she's on there with other comics and it's a fun night and I think well that's a really that's a really good way to do it because otherwise you miss you know it's a fun thing yeah totally and and you've written for other comics before mm. and I wondered whether you'd ever ask someone to write for you like if, you, if, they, if they'd given you a subject or you needed someone to banter off of or to bounce ideas with when I had a radio show yeah you definitely need writers mm. and sometimes it's people to bounce ideas off with but a guy and he's not a comedian he sells um, he sells antique fabric <laughs> Um, but he's very into comedy. Um, but I will, if I'm doing a panel show or something, I will, um, I will ban banter with him or go, what, what are your thoughts on this? And you just tell me thoughts. And it's just good because it just, it starts me thinking I need somewhere to start from because a blank page is a terrible thing yeah. of going, oh, right. So he thought this about, um, whatever the subject might be, uh, Brexit or something. So, oh, that could make me think of that. And it just, it just helps me start. And I may not use anything, but it's helped me start. And I think it's worth mm. that. I'll pay him just to get my brain moving. Because mm. just staring at stuff going, well, I don't know where to start. And then go, oh, that was interesting. You had a thought about that. Oh, I could. Oh, from that thought, I've now got another thought. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, you need to have people start you off on stuff like that. But things like, you know, the festival and thing, that, no. Then I don't have writers for that. Mm. Or generally just for stand-up, no. Mm. I've, I find uh, wh when I change mediums, so like if I'm writing something down for Twitter or I'm putting it on Facebook or I'm performing it live or I'm putting it in a podcast, whatever it is, I uh, try and think about how they're going to consume it before I put it out. Yeah. So like with Twitter, I try, even though we've got a bit more leeway, I try and make it as punchy as possible. Yeah. Whereas on Facebook, I might make it a bit more flowery or like I have a bit of a build to it or something like that. H how does your writing process change when the medium changes? And also how does your performance style change, if at all? Yeah, I like Twitter. And Twitter, uh, I find I can be, well, Facebook is soft. And I don't really use that for work, I don't mm. think. I, that I put stuff out, but it's sort of, um, a large you know sort of family and friends although as my friend pointed out but you don't have 3,000 friends Joe <laughs> they're not your friends and I go no they are my friends <laughs> but I don't I don't think of that particularly as a work thing but Twitter because it's much more punchy isn't mm -hmm. it and and the nature of Twitter I think especially people following me they know 
it's a joke. They mm. know it's a joke and they know it's going to be maybe quite harsh. Yeah. And they go, oh, you know, I mean, and it's weird the people who retweet, like Alistair Stewart, the guy who reads the news, he <laughs> retweets me all the time because he'd come when I was supporting Rory Bremner. He came to one of those shows and we had a bit of a laugh. And then next thing I know, and then so I say to him, but I put everybody involved. I'm asking him, right, get Annie Nightingale. Not Mary Nightingale to say this when she's reading the news and little and um, what do you have suggestions games people love a game and I like the game and you'll say what suggestions or I'm always asking people you know music suggestions to walk on and people and they get to make a joke at my expense mm. as well you know they'll something you know be something like you know old dogs or something I don't know <laughs> but you know they'll come up with things that are quite rude to me and that's quite nice that they can be rude to me back so yeah i think about it and i think uh, interaction is very good people like to do interaction and it's uh it's just a really enjoy it's just a very enjoyable because it's a it's a free thing and it's a back and forth and a and people and i've found out about things through twitter that i wouldn't have known about without twitter but i do i think the tone to me is much clearer on twitter that i can be harsher more acerbic they know it's a joke um, you know, very occasionally people are like, well, that's a bit, that's a bit mean. But I'm like, but I am mean, you know. <laughs> so don't follow me if you think it's too mean. So I think that's easy. And I mean, stand up. I wish it's so elusive. I wish there was a way, but there isn't. But then again, if there was a a way, it wouldn't be the sort of glorious mystical thing that it is. You know, you know, it's that thing of I know that by sitting and trying to write. It makes my brain work and I may not come up with anything mm. but I a great believer in the subconscious doing stuff while you're doing other mm. things and I do think writers need and you need to have empty space time as well where you do get in a zone I find this more for writing pieces if I'm writing a piece I really do sort of sit and look make cups of tea walk around go for a run I used to listen to podcasts and now I found no, I'll go through the piece I'm trying to write. And I did that yesterday. And weirdly, I went, oh, God, I've run 10K. I never run 10K. But it was because uh, I was really, really thinking. But that's that's a different process to the stand. And I can, and that I sort of know how to do that kind of writing. But stand up, you go, oh, God, how am I going to come up with a joke? Pressure, under mm -hmm. pressure. It always, I've got to be on a panel show. I will think of things. People are staring at me. I don't have a punchline your brain edits the punchline perfectly so that's mm. why i'll often record when i'm doing new because that will write i'll write it on stage a million times better than i could write it mm. and then sometimes have you heard that where something comes out just fully formed mm. you go, i couldn't tell you where that came from no absolutely wasn't even thinking something i was thinking about but just then, came out but then when that happens to me i always worry have i heard it somewhere else have i heard, have I read it somewhere else have i done the you know what i mean because if, mm. if, if it, sometimes if it feels so perfect you're like, oh shit! I've got to, I've got to Google it. I've got to look it up and stuff. And and you don't know mm. sometimes when you're like, oh crap. But it's per but when it, but when it's your like when when you know it's just yeah. like yours. It feels the best thing in the world. Yeah, room. oh, like, it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And I tend to know if I've heard something because I remember people's routines quite well. Mm. Um, if I there's something I really like, so I don't I don't tend to worry about that. And occasionally, some people will have something similar, and I'll always say. I've got a thing similar, so you know, mine does this. Well, you know, I'll say it immediately if I see someone who's got something similar to me. 
because the last thing you want is somebody saying to them, oh, Joe Caulfield's got a thing that's like yours, I, you know, so say it when you see it. And then sometimes it is, you, yeah, and then you've got a bit of a routine, especially if it's observational, to go, oh, right, people really hate that as well. Just a small observation about, the small observation about people not getting ready in the security queue at airports. And then that developed into a routine of me saying that if my husband were a terrorist, I would know, and I do a bit <laughs> routine. And what I like about it is I get to say things like, uh, with him saying, but I wanted to set up an Islamic caliphate. Well, you can set up an Islamic caliphate when you put up those Billy bookcases. <laughs> it's just lovely, like really common words mm. with that. And that, that came out of that routine. And you, again, you're going, mm, I don't know how that started. But it started from thinking, how do the wives not know? And then doing, or what would be a husband-wife conversation, then you can add more to it. And then the whole routine that I had for the last couple of years that sadly has had to retire was the whole customer service with people asking how you are. And that became a huge thing. And because people were in the audience going, yes, because they were really angry about it. And going, yeah, I'm fed up with people saying, what are you up to today? It's none of the bloody business. No. Mm. And weirdly, some of the shops have stopped doing it. Someone in Marks and Spencer's, they said, oh, we've been told to not to do it now because we annoyed British people. We're not like that, you know. We'll have a chat, a genuine chat if we want a chat. But, yeah. Mm. So, but, yeah, so it's just so elusive stand-up, you know. And there are people, I mean, when I've written for other people, I've written with people like Graham Norton. He still has Rob Colley writes his jokes. And Rob is one of those people who's like a machine. He, but I'm like, I can give the ingredients and I will go, right, this is what Graham will think about this person. And, and we would sort of hammer things out. But he could sit on his own and then come out two hours later with a page of jokes. And I couldn't do that. Because I, I, I just couldn't. So I don't write in that way. I might, might have three. And then I'd have to go on stage and, and work out other things. Yeah. I, I, when, you, when you start writing for someone new, like as in you're doing yeah. their jokes, how do you gain their trust? Is it a case of you've just been friends for a while? Or at this point, I'm assuming it's because they know you. Yeah, they know, know me. But and when I you was, first started doing I was it. doing Graham's warm up and they had trouble finding writers that had the right sensibility. Um, it was, they were writing, it was all male writers and they were writing very old school gay man jokes, like sort of very sort of John inman And he was like, no, I am actually a gay man and I <laughs> fuck people. Yeah. So can we have things that are where I'm not pretending that I'm not yeah. gay and things. And um, Rob was already on board and then they just gave me a trial, you know, mm. and, uh, and we worked really well together. And sometimes, you know, he would go write the joke will be these are the ingredients and I could come up with a punchline for him or I could, you know, give opinion, you know, it just worked. We worked very well. I mean, we worked together for like seven years doing doing that and doing celebrity jokes. And because it was topical, I never felt like I was giving anything away mm. because I thought, well, these aren't lasting anyway, yeah. you know, and it was really good learning curve as well um, and then I wrote but in a, this is a completely different way of writing because it's not really writing for Ruby Wax she had a game show and she needed chat so it was an earpiece thing I would say what she should say to people through the earpiece um, oh, like real time yeah in oh. real time which was a really odd job and she would she would I was amazed how much she would trust that she would just say what, what was said into her ear. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of trust in that. Yeah, but that was, you know, because, but that's, you know, because I've got a comparing, if you've got comparing skills, you can host a, you know, a game show because <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. No, I always, I always find it interesting how, I mean, predominantly I'm a writer and I find it, when I say predominantly, I, I, I just 
have more of that work coming in at the moment so yeah. I just sort of go that way but I find it really interesting how people um, A, find that work and B, uh, continue to trust like get trust from people because ultimately you know there's there's a lot of uh, if you're not going out and saying it you know th- th- it's all well and good in a little room where you've all had like a meeting for an hour about a yeah. joke and and in the room you get the context of it and you get the idea of it because you've all been there the whole time while the process has been building yeah. but one person has to go out there and say it yeah I think well, the way we used to do it on the day of Graham was that the, the researchers would have all the news stories printed out for us and Graham, me, Rob, and the producer would read through, Graham would read through the news stories, mm. and then he would say, and Graham would do it in like a riffing way, and so if he said something funny, right, we write that down. Mm-hmm. We also know which stories he's more interested in as mm-hmm. well. So some of it he's writing himself, but also we, he'd be like, oh God, I'm not interested in that, oh, we're boring, and that, so then we go, right, we know the subjects, and then lunchtime, we'll have a draft, and then what would happen then, which was weird, was the producer would read them in Graham's voice and Graham would listen to them. And it was funny, he didn't want to say them until he was saying them in the run-through. And then Graham would go, hmm, hmm, oh, that's funny. Oh, that's funny, that's laughing. And then uh, then the producer would sometimes go over a joke. He goes, hmm, I'm not hearing laughter. <laughs> and that was a really good thing for me. And I think about that a lot in th- certain things. You go, um, is that funny enough to make that punch in your stomach where you laugh out loud and you go it's not and it was it's quite i'm not always right but it's quite a thing to develop in yourself to go is that am i hearing laughter no that's amusing it's not laugh out loud funny that could be funny to write in a piece but that's not funny enough and then it would whittle down or go right add more to this add more to this and then graham would do the first time he do the jokes would be the camera run through and he liked it if the cameramen and sound men were laughing he would get confident and go, no, I think these are funny, or that one. Occasionally he'd go, I'm not feeling that one, but I'll give it a go for you. Mm. And, uh, and then, because he you know we're standing at the side of the stage, so if it doesn't work, we're, we have to then go, oh, really sorry, Graham, because that didn't work, but mm. you, you did it for us. But that didn't often happen, but then, you know, they could edit things. But there was one that we thought was hilarious, and because me and Rob were laughing so much at it, Graham said, oh, I'll, I'll do it. They clearly think it's mm. hilarious got nothing <laughs> absolutely nothing which then made us laugh even more <laughs> it's like wow but it's a funny thing to develop that sense of what's of uh, when things are funny and when because sometimes you just don't know sometimes no. i don't know until i'm saying it out loud on stage whether whether it's funny it's like i often see comedians go on stage and go well that worked on twitter and you're like yeah but it works written down. It doesn't mean it's working. Oh, completely yeah, different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, completely different. I mean, there's very... It's different mediums. Yeah, I, I think there's hardly anything I would put on Twitter that I could that, that would say out loud. Mm. You know, and the only way I thought I could use it was one year I thought, well, I, why don't I read my tweets? And then I went, mm, why don't you write some jokes <laughs> that you can say out loud? That they yeah. can't just read before they get to the show. Yeah. That they're yeah. probably searching for when they're saying yeah, what you're about. So it's a, it's a different, it is a, it's a different thing, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. I think the only exception to that is one-liner comedians. I have a few friends who are yes. one-liner comedians. And yeah. obviously they're going to test them out on there sometimes and they'll sometimes work in both. But yeah. often I'm like, yeah, okay, you can kind of read your Twitter feed if you can remember it all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, occasionally. Yeah, occasionally I've had something on Twitter that I've gone, oh, that, that is a good joke I could just do. But usually, no, they're for there. How, how do you, 
or have you, have you ever had imposter syndrome where you've got like a new, you've been offered a TV role, or you've been offered a, a, a thing on a panel show and you've ever felt a bit like, oh, like even in the early stage where you've gone, oh, I'm definitely ready for that. Or, or, you know, when you get there, have you ever felt, oh God, I'm the new one here. They all know, they all know I'm not ready for this. Or have you ever felt like that? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think you do feel like that. I think everybody feels like that, feels like, oh, this is quite daunting um, because it's not, you know, the thing about panel shows is you often don't get a chance to learn how to be good at them. Yeah. You know, like you're doing stand-up comedy all the time and then the thing is they go, well, be, why, appear on this and don't do what you normally do. And you're like, oh, great, so this is my big chance, but I don't get to do what I normally yeah. do? Okay, this sounds really a good idea. Um, so there's lots of things to, to learn of uh, what kind of material to have, or how prepared to be, um, how much are you going to look at that piece of paper, or are you going to, you know, now I go, try to have the things in your head, try to be in the moment. And then the hardest thing of all, try to be relaxed. <laughs> and now I've learned that um, sometimes you, you're just not going to be relaxed. Mm. Um, and the best thing, of course, is where is that, and you can't fake that confidence. You just can't. And now I know there's uh, some things I do, and I go, oh, I was totally myself. I was totally at home and I was fully firing in all cylinders. And then other ones, I'll go, right, you're probably not going to be firing all cylinders. You're going to find, you know, that I always think of it as like go up into cupboards in my brain mm. and then go, oh, God, there's nothing there. Or the door's just locked. I couldn't get in. You know, whereas when you're totally in the great state, you can get into everything and you, you, there's a little, you just think of things off so you don't even know where it's coming from. It's coming straight out of your mouth. It's great. And that's where you want to be. Um, and the more you do it, the closer you can get to that. Um, but I would still say at certain times I'm going on something and going, I think some of the doors are going to be shut when I try to go to them. And that you, I'm just, but it's doing it more that you get more relaxed and at peace with, with, with being able to use all, all the facilities you have in your head. Uh, but sometimes you go, oh, they, they weren't. And that's, and that's nerves and, and, mm. and, a, a, and a fear and a, a, a wariness that can happen uh, as, uh, on, on sort of TV things sometimes. But, I'm, I mean, I think every time, I always say yes to things because I think every time you get better, you know, or it's all practice, you know, mm. like I do, or I'll do a, a, a live chat show or a thing because it's all practice on how, how do you do these things, mm. you know, because most of the time you're doing stand-up, not doing these other weird things. Mm. <laughs> that is how, apparently, you make your name. I, th I think that's really odd is like when people say like afterwards normally if someone says oh you're so brave or something like that I think it's because they're watching you do you know a, seat, a thing to 500 people they don't see that you've done you know mm. 2,000 gigs to 50 people and you've built up your skills and you've got yeah. better like they see the end result yes. and get really worried about it and I think that's easy to do because they don't have the perspective on it but yeah. it's hard to sit down sit them down and go let me walk you through all the gigs I've done to, to get to yes. a thing yeah. where I feel like I'm not just winging this or I'm not in, you know taking up your time or yeah. you're waiting for the better act or whatever it would be yes yeah and it's also knowing I think it's also knowing your persona and who you are that you can to take to the uh, other places um it's a hard thing it's like if I was doing a corporate I'm still me I'm still Joe the comic I will still be acerbic I will still you know be rude to people um, and make fun of them and it, it's, it, it's I think it's taking yourself in whatever medium and it's still being your comedy self mm. is uh, what you learn to do because you've done it for so long 
on mm. stage that you know where that person is mm, definitely and and I, I read a thing this might not be true so I read it online so you never know mm. but I heard that you you were working as a waitress and you were saving up to sort of start your own comedy club and then you met your now husband yeah and uh, you decided to give it two years and if you couldn't make it you would just stop I I you see, I <laughs> that sounds very um, film like, plot line. <laughs> well, or or that I mean that I had any idea what making it meant. Yeah, I didn't, and also that makes me sound like I was very businesslike and had a plan. <laughs> I was, but in a really weird way. I was businesslike and a fuck up at the same time, because I'd left school at seventeen, come to London, was in a band, had shitty jobs everywhere. And had no plan, life plan at all. Was just going, oh, as long as I can get earn enough money to pay some rent. Um, and then I worked in a shop and I worked in a bars. And then I was a rockabilly. And then I sold 50s clothing. And I liked working for myself. Um, and I had a market stall and things. And I sort of enjoyed, I always kind of wanted to work for myself. I always liked that. And even when I was waitressing, I felt I was working for myself because I got my own tip you know and you could do more shifts or less shifts or things and then uh I'd gone to drama school for a year because I was thinking oh everybody seemed to be and uh, I realized the people I was hanging out with are a bit younger than me and they suddenly started going to college and things and I was like oh fuck I should have a plan so I was like 28 or something went to drama school for a year and one of the exercises was stand-up comedy and I really thought about it now I at the same time I'd been watching I remember seeing a TV show, and this is how the thing I have a memory for routines. And it was Jasper Carrot, and he'd gone to America, and he'd filmed in, pretty sure it was Catch Rising Star or The Improv in New York. And it was one of those brick walls, we'd never seen that before here, stand-ups. And I just thought it was the most amazing thing. Jerry Seinfeld was on there. This is how long ago it was, in that he had a routine about women using heated curlers. I think weirdly they do. My, I bought my niece some for Christmas. They do, but it was the old-fashioned ones. I remember my mum having like Carmen rollers and how you could put baked potatoes on them. And, yeah. and women, when they put their, their perfume on, he going, "Why do they have these spots behind the ear? That's a spot behind the knee, behind you know." <laughs> and I remember that going, "Oh, I really like him." And then Ellen DeGeneres was on there, and I thought she was amazing. And Paula Poundstone, she she did routine because I really liked because I was waitressing, and she did routine about uh, working in the International House of Pancakes. And she said, and then she said a th throwaway line of um, "Living my dream," and I thought, God, people still say that. And then she went, and "If people were mean to me, I would touch their eggs." And I was like, Oh, that is so good. Mm. And again, it was that thing of these are just people talking. Mm. I haven't seen this before. This is amazing. I had a love for it, but I didn't know it was a thing that people did. And one of the stand-up, one of the students went and did an open spot at the comedy store. And that's where I went down to see them do that. Jack D was on. Mark Lamar was comparing. Sean Mio was on. And Mike Haley was on, who did impressions. And I was blown away by it. The guy doing the open spot had died a death. But I was like, but how did you get it? And he went, well, you phone up and you ask. Really? <laughs> like, you don't pay. You don't have to go to college. This seemed to me like, because I, I was also, I thought, I thought, how do people get proper jobs? I have no idea. I'm not, I have no skills. I've, you know, hardly any education. How do they do it? And this was like, oh, you just, and then I started doing, I went to the comedy calf and I won the competition the first night because a lot of people do, because you're like full of it. You look, you don't even know what you should be afraid of. Then that's when I was like, because I had an amp and a microphone and stuff from being the band's things and, 
and going, right, if I run my own night, then I can compare it. And I think two years seemed at that time maybe an inordinate amount of time. So the idea that I would stick at anything, because I didn't stick at anything, would be amazing. So I think it was more that I was going, well, two years, I mean, that's really a long time. So I'll give it two years. And then I'll have to put chalk that up to yet a f- another fad mm. that I've gone through, like the drumming and like the singing and like the selling the clothes. And, you know, this is just another thing that Joe did and then she did something else. But I, I thought it was the thing for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you, okay, so from when you started mm. that idea yeah. to when you, the two years were up, what, what did you think making it was when you first started and what did you think it was by the end and th- had you achieved that? Because you've carried on, so I assume you had, but... Yeah, not being able to do any waitressing shifts. Right. Like when they said, oh, can you do this night or this night? I went, oh, I can't really because I've got gigs. I can't do any weekend nights. So I go, well, you can't be a waitress. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and I was traveling away. They said, can you do Sunday lunch? No, because I'll be driving back from Chester. Oh, well, you can't be a waitress. So to go, oh, and I'm now making a living. And I think, and then I got, I started doing some warm-ups. Thanks to Laura Shavin. She got asked to do warm-up. They wanted a woman. And she said, I can't do it. But I think Joe Caulfield would be good at it. And I did that. And that was Graham Norton's producer, Graham Stewart. Hmm. So then he got me to do Graham. Because Graham went, I don't want a man. I don't want like an old bloke going on. That was a very mainstream warm-up then. Well, nobody, our sort of comics didn't do them. And then he said, well, there's a woman, Joe Corfield. And he went, oh, I know Joe. Yeah, so she yeah. could do it. So I think it was doing Graham and then writing and then going, well, I suppose that took a while. But uh, I think it was buying a car and going, oh, I've paid for this car through jokes. Mm. And I stayed that to myself every single time. I look at it and go, right, this house, jokes. Everything's <laughs> bought by jokes. And that's fantastic. And just uh, writing more jokes and going, that's all you have to do. Like, uh, you can get sidetracked. Like I was sidetracked by people in television going, oh, write a sitcom. Here's two years of your life down the shithole. And, uh, and then going, oh, and I took my eye off stand-up. And, stand-up. and then I really concentrated. And I just concentrated on being good at stand-up. And I don't think it was my idea. I think I heard Bill Burr talking about that. If you get a disappointment because, and it's people, people in television saying they can do things and then you go, oh, they can't and they've wasted my time. And he went, I just concentrated on what I do and that's what I did. And then, and I concentrated also on fun things. Then of going, I'm going to do a fun evening. Oh, Radio 4 have commissioned it, have they? Oh, Mm. that wasn't the idea. It was Mm. the idea was to do a thing for fun and to explore it. And, And things have come out of, if you just concentrating on more material i need more material more material do things for fun try things out see where this is going then opportunity comes Mm. do you think you could do the same thing now if you started today um it's very hard to say isn't it Mm. very hard to say one they'd go it's quite old to be starting i'd have to go into that silver competition (laughs) wouldn't i to make a name for myself um I was lucky I started, you know, I started l- late then. I was late to start, you know. I was already 30, so, you know, that was late. But I didn't think it was late. I think it meant that I, in weird ways, I think I've had 
not life experience, but I thought I've done a lot of shitty jobs. My friends are very varied from different parts of my life. I think it gives you a good overview. And I'm also very, I find sometimes comics go, you're not aware that these people in the audience, uh, they've paid money, they've worked, they, you, you, you owe them something. I'm not of the thought that, that they should necessarily be honored to be in my presence. And if they don't like it, it's their fault. You know, Mm. I do believe I have, as long as I feel I'm still being myself, um, then they have a right to expect a funny show. Mm. Yeah. These are the last quick fire questions. Yeah. Um, I think I know the answer to this one based on what you've just said, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And we can, mm. you know, um, a lot of comedians call themselves comedians um, because that's the way they like to be labelled. But obviously, their their financial earnings show them as doing something else. Would you say that you are a comedian, regardless of if you earn more money from like TV work or from writing work? How would you like to be labelled if someone said you could only have one? Comedian, because I would qualify by saying that everything I do is comedy. And if I were even writing is comedy, TV is comedy. So it's a comedian and a comedian has, will have different genres. But I'm a comic or a comedian, yeah. Okay. Uh, what's the biggest mistake you've ever made and how did you overcome it? Mistake. There are things that have happened that I thought, oh, I should have followed that up. Or that was bad advice. Like an agent gave me very bad advice whereby I didn't take up an offer from a TV producer who wanted to do a pilot of my own show. (laughs) Um, And I thought, oh my, and she told me to turn it down. Uh, And then after that, I was going, my God, that was such terrible advice. What it was was a conflict of interest with, with production companies. And I thought, then I realized, oh God, she was totally wrong. I, there wasn't a conflict of interest. And then I thought, do you know what? I wouldn't have been ready. Mm. I wouldn't have been ready to do it. I think I was a slow learner. <laughs> I think it took me a long time to find myself. And that's all part of the thing. So biggest mistake. I probably will think of one. But I, you know, I am a bit like, well, who's to know what was a mistake or what was actually, well, you wouldn't have done that well anyway. Or, but that led to this. So that ended up being a good thing. Yeah, or I'm quite controlling about my career. So when you've had an agent that would maybe want to take you on, you go, oh, but they're a very controlling agent and I don't like that. I like that my agent basically <laughs> leaves me to run my own career because I go, I don't like being told what to do. I think that's why I'm a comedian. So in that way, I go, yeah, because I I do do things at my in my own way and I like that. So... I'm sure I should say there's a huge mistake, but I can't, I can't think of one. Or I'm very clever at making myself think it's not a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think is the most underrated person in the industry? Well, it's very hard because I don't want to say a comedian because then that means that, that, means that I'm saying that they're not successful and they might go, but I am successful. Or it might mean that I'm saying that, um, that I'm forgetting to say somebody else. Yeah, I'm not sure if, I mean, I don't mean underrated as in they're not successful. I just mean people who you think maybe haven't been given the, just haven't got the level of notoriety, whether it be within their little group or within a certain subset of people who go to comedy. It doesn't mean that they're not famous. It just means that you feel uh, they're sometimes overlooked. I think, uh, and funny because I thought, oh, I always go and see a show. Um, Gavin Webster, I think, does suffer 
from being a Geordie. Uh, because I think he does clever shows. He does a show in Edinburgh. He doesn't do what he does in clubs. He has a thought and he goes, right, I'm going to pursue that thought. And I think there's very funny things in it. And there's also some clever ideas. And it is that thing you go, hmm, if you, if you were Oxbridge, uh, I think a whole load of people would be flocking about and saying how clever and interesting you are. But they're not because you're an ex-engineer from Newcastle. Okay. Um, what do you think is the biggest problem in the comedy industry and how would you go about solving it? Well, I feel <laughs> I don't have any problems. Um, <laughs> I, I think people just have to concentrate on the work, do the work, write the jokes, tour about. If you do the work, and then some people, th I think they think they're doing the work and you go, no, what you're doing is when you come to Edinburgh, hanging around in the loft bar. You're thinking that somebody's going to give you a career if you meet them. <laughs> if you do the work and are a good comic, things happen. I think Patti Smith, there's a quote from Patti Smith, and she said it. She said, don't think about making money. Think about creating good work and working with good people and making a good name, and then your name will become currency. And I think that's very, very true. I would normally end by asking what's the best bit of advice you've been given, but I know you have an advice blog. So, <laughs> so I've changed it for you because I don't want you to go, yes. you could just read my blog. Yeah, Why have you not read, read my, my blog? blog? Yeah. Um, two, uh, what was the hardest lesson you've ever had to learn as a comedian? I, I think I've learned a, um, a lesson sort of, you learn it over and over again and it, and it gets less. I don't think there's one hardest lesson. I think not working hard enough so you're not prepared for something thinking oh I'll get away with it and then going you didn't going taking an opportunity say tv or radio and then and then thinking but thinking I don't know if it's right for me be brave enough sometimes to say that's not right for you and that's a hard lesson to learn to be able to go no that's actually not for me or and then I haven't had it for a long time but even, not, uh, even live work, sometimes you can go, oh, I didn't really feel it. And then you go, oh, because you didn't connect. You, you know, it'll be a really basic lesson of stand-up that you went, oh, you just went out and you started and they didn't know this about you or they didn't know that or you didn't. And you go, oh, God. And sometimes you go, Christ, you have to learn this. Sometimes you have to learn this thing all over again. I mean, as I say now, I think that's less and less because I think I've learned it so many times that I that I do prepare and I do connect and I do you know because I go you can't be doing stand-up this long and come off stage and go oh why didn't that work oh because of you know something really obvious yeah. uh, but I think for years you learn that lesson over and over again you learn how to do stand-up over and over again mm. and you'll go there's always a reason why a gig didn't go well uh, very occasionally it's because it's a room full of people drunk and on coke who are really loud and there's, your microphone didn't work and it's unplayable. But very few places are actually mm. unplayable. No. no, I agree with that. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. That was Jo hearing her take on writing for other people as well as how she has had to change her voice to fit with Graham Norton's as well as what she loves and hates about panel shows and just every part of this was a joy to put together and, and edit down and, and I felt like there was it was just 
packed with so much information, not unlike her blog. She has an advice blog, which is always the bare bones of what you really need to know if you want to become a performer. Or um, I think I think the blog is called something like Things I've Learned as a Comedian. Um, I can't remember. I, I read it on an intermittent basis, so I should know that, but I just can't remember what she actually calls it. If you Google Joe Corfield blog, you should be able to find it. Um, all of her advice about Edinburgh Fringe uh, was like holding gold in this episode. I, I really felt uh, so privileged to hear her thoughts on it and and her opinions on how it was working and I I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did Um, if you'd like to thank her or myself our Twitter handles are in the show notes Uh, please do take a minute and thank the guests because it really means the world to them and to me and it shows them that there is a listenership that is listening to this and enjoying it and so if I ask them for an introduction to someone else they are more willing to do that because they're like hey I uh, you know, knew that there were people listening and it was really lovely and I had a great experience and all that sort of stuff. So you, you're helping the show out by doing that. If you enjoyed this episode, why not give the episode with Beck Hill a listen? Uh, she talks about her relationship with her audience and the Edinburgh Fringe, as well as moving to the UK from uh, Australia. Or the episode with Phil Jupiter, who talks about his hindsight views on being one of the team captains on Nevermind the Buzzcocks, as well as why he does the free and paid Fringe at the Edinburgh Festival. Both episodes I am ridiculously happy with and I think that they are definitely worth checking out if you haven't already. Really quickly before you go, uh, I'm doing Edinburgh next year. Just just a heads up on that. Uh, I don't know the time. I don't know the venue. I know it is sweet venues in the grass market because that's as far as I've got. I know it'll be a full run and I'll be taking Wednesdays off as per usual. Otherwise, I don't have any other details for you, but I just want to flag that I will be at the Edinburgh Festival 2019, uh, short of uh, like a big illness or or the festival shutting down for a year or something like that. I'll definitely be there. Um, Also, I'll be doing previews from January through to July, and I'll also be doing a tour afterwards, which I'm working with someone on at the moment, but I don't have any other information. I just want you to be aware that I'm working on stuff. Like, that is is the information I'm trying to give you. So, um, yeah, please do come down and support. Also, if you'd like to come and see me do my 20... 18 show which was called sex drugs and other things i never do Uh, i'm doing it at the bloomsbury theater in london on the 21st of march 2019 Uh, i am plugging that one specifically because i might be getting it recorded for a dvd release i say dvd release it'll be on youtube and you'll be able to buy a copy at my gigs on a pen drive or whatever so if you want to come down and you want to support me that'd be the best way of doing it uh i think the code i made uh for this was if you tweet me or message me somehow uh my favorite macaroon flavor is strawberry then i will send you privately the discount link for the tickets for avid listeners of the podcast slash fans of mine who have come to see shows in the past so if you want to come and see the show for uh cheap then uh let me know that you have listened to this and i'll definitely get you that code i just don't want to put it out publicly because i don't want every old tom dick and harry having access to that so um yeah that's pretty much all i've got to say about that the ask the industry podcast is a fruit that got in gravity's way production for the internet all elements were created by me comedian simon kane thank you very much for listening thank you very much for subscribing and thank you very much for rating and donating if you do or coming down and seeing me at a preview slash the broomsbury slash edinburgh slash tour however you want to support me please do that i'll see you all in about 14 days time bye 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.